Um, huh? Oh, okay. Well, regardless of that, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter 26. And we're going to be reading, starting with verse 12. But um, thus far in Genesis, let's talk about that first. Uh, this far in Genesis last week, we talked about how Isaac had... Um, gone to Gerar, which is very similar to what Abraham had done previously, and uh, we see a lot of similarities with Abraham and Isaac. Um, Isaac goes to Gerar, he meets the king, Abimelech. Abimelech does not get happy with Isaac because Isaac lies about Rebekah being his wife, um, much like Abraham had done to Abimelech when it comes to Sarah. You see a lot of family things, and it makes you wonder about family sins. Um, I don't know about that, but still, that's what happened last week, is that Isaac had gone to Gerar like he was supposed to because of the famine, and then he had a little bit of a confrontation with Abimelech. And now, from we're going to read the rest of the chapter, and we're going to find basically the rest of Isaac's story. Uh, starting after this chapter, it doesn't talk about Isaac really much at all. It goes into Jacob and Esau, and so it's really funny to me that Isaac gets one chapter, <laughs> whereas Abraham gets a bunch, and then Jacob and Esau and then Joseph get a bunch, but Isaac, this is it. Why that is, I do not know. Um, he might have just been a boring character. No one wanted to read his stories. Who knows? I kid. Anyway, let's go ahead and verse, start with verse 12 through verse 15, 16. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possession of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you, for you are much mightier than we. So at this point in the narrative, we learn of Isaac settling down in the land of the Philistines. Um, he does something Abraham had uh, not we had seen not been doing, which was sowing in the land. Abraham was never mentioned doing that. Uh, while Abraham had wandered with his flocks, it seems Isaac is setting up a more permanent location. Indeed, not only does he sow, but he even reaps a hundredfold. I mean, that's a, an, an insane amount. Immediately, the text establishes that this is not an ability, ability of Isaac. It was not that he had um, such a great green thumb like Ellen, that he was able to reap so great of a harvest. No, the Lord blessed him. It is because the Lord's blessing is on him that he has harvested so greatly, and it is further established in his wealth. Thus, the promise given to Isaac at the beginning of the chapter is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Indeed, his possessions continue to grow while he lived there, flocks, herds, and servants. He was receiving um, continued blessings from God as he dwelled in the land. But there is already a moment of pause. The Philistines envied him. This envy causes them to act in mischievous ways. Uh, we are told how the Philistines blocked the wells which had been dug during the time of Abraham. As it is, as Abraham had passed, they seemed to have just simply blocked them. They simply covered them up and, and kept the water from flowing. That or they did it while Isaac was there. Uh, whether this was against the treaty previously given to Abraham uh, is unknown. All we know is that they simply stopped the wells. Reasons for it unknown. Ultimately, the continued wealth and blessings from God to Isaac causes Abimelech to demand Isaac's departure from the land. The argument is that he is mightier than the Philistines. 
the Philistines were worried over the continued growth and blessings bestowed upon Isaac. Um, and it's interesting, the same thing happened to those in Egypt. One of the reasons why um, the Egyptians started killing the babies in Egypt was because they had become too numerous. And we're kind of seeing that same thing, where they're even mightier than we. We need to get rid of them somehow. Though, clearly the Philistines had a nicer way of doing that. All right, so verses 17 through 22. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But then, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, um, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This is water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contented with him. Contended with him. Then the, they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called that name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. All right. Interesting story. As it is, Isaac is the non-confrontational sort of individual. Instead of fighting against Abimelech, he leaves. He desires peace before anything else, and so he goes to the valley of Gerar and settles there. While previously had been in Gerar proper, uh, the valley of Gerar was further outside of the Gerar um, proper, so to speak. Before we get into what happened in the valley, though, we are told in verse 18 how in Gerar, Isaac had dug up again the wells Abraham had dug. Now, scholars note that this really underlines the injustice of being pushed out by Abimelech, uh, since one of the wells was named at the treaty, which was established between Abimelech and Abraham, um, Isaac's father. Still, he gives them all the same names that Abraham had given them, but it is not enough for him to not get pushed out of Gerar. So as it is, he loses all those wells that he redigs. At this point, we are back in the valley of Gerar, and his servants are digging new wells because you can't survive without water. Unfortunately, despite leaving Gerar and going to the valley, there is still no peace. For just as the first well is dug, the herdsmen of Gerar come and take claim to it. Despite Isaac's servants being the ones who did the labor, these herdsmen take it over. Because of this, Isaac names the well Essek, which means to contend or to quarrel, which is what we see in the translation. Being, again, a non-confrontational type of individual, Isaac simply moves on and digs another well. But, again, the problem persists. Just as the wells dug, the herdsmen come again as they take it over. This time he calls the well Sitna, which means enmity or hostility. A bit harsher of a word than contention or quarreling. Still, Isaac is undeterred from living in peace and chooses to move on to another well location. There he finally finds a place in the land where the herdsmen of Gerar do not quarrel with him over it or fight with him. Thus, the name is Rehoboth, which means open spaces or open room. Hence what Isaac says in the end about there being room for us. Ultimately, he concludes that they will be fruitful in the land, which is a reflection of God's providence than finding a peaceful dwelling, per se, as the word itself reflects back onto God's promise to Isaac earlier in the chapter. All right, now we have verses 23 through 25. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of, your, of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. 
From here, Isaac goes to Beersheba. It is at Beersheba where the Lord appears to him. Uh, It is interesting since this is the place where the Treaty of Abimelech was first made with Abraham. As it is, while here, Isaac encounters God himself. Indeed, the Lord says to Isaac much of what he had said to Abraham. He first tells Isaac who he is. By doing this, it informs us that God is there and that he is not silent. Likewise, Isaac is told not to fear. While the presence of the Lord is something worth fearing to those whom God loves and has blessed, um, there is no fear. Indeed, we are reminded of 1 John here, that there is no longer fear and condemnation, but love for those who love God. Thus, is God is with Isaac, and the promise is guaranteed that he will bless Isaac and his offspring. So we see that element here. Again, we are reminded that it is for Abraham's sake, something that we were reminded of previously. A fact that uh, reminds us of the blessings which are promised to Abraham. As such, the oath is ratified with Isaac, Abraham's son, and Isaac can now know that the Lord will be his and he the Lord's. Just as with Abraham, the proper response to the Lord is worship. Immediately, Isaac builds the altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. In this way, Isaac continues the trend of worship as he follows after God, a trend which is is in his line with Abraham, who did the same thing at Beersheba after the treaty with Abimelech. That he pitches his tent there and that he, uh, the servants dug another well tells us that this is the place where Isaac would dwell. Previously, we have been seeing how he has moved from place to place. Now, however, he feels comfortable in settling down. Alrighty, now the final verses of this chapter. Or, actually, not quite. A few verses we're not going to go over today. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuthsev, Ahuthsev, you say it. <laughs> his advisor and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. He, he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Alright, so at this point in the story, Abimelech visits Isaac along with Ahuzath and Phicol. Previously, Phicol had accompanied Abimelech when he had actually visited Abraham previously. Ahuzath is a new character in the scene and likely, as the text says, an advisor or friend of Abimelech. And maybe they didn't mention him earlier because of his name. No one can say it. (laughs) Anyway, notice the response from Isaac at their coming. Previously, he seemed to take everything lying down. Now, however, he seems to have bared his teeth a little bit. Uh, Why are they visiting him after they had caused him such grief? What is their purpose in this visit? Is this Isaac's faith at play or is this courage? Um, We can't really say what's going on with Isaac now that he has like a little bit of a fight to him. Regardless, the response is pretty bland (laughs) when you really think about it. Ultimately, they recognize God has blessed Isaac just as he had blessed Abraham. Um, And instead of contention, why not a peace treaty instead? Indeed, they try to spin the fact that they expelled Isaac in the best possible terms. But the truth is, it wasn't so kind on their part. 
Regardless, they continue to persist in God's blessing of Isaac as a reason enough to seek peace. Ultimately, Isaac prepares a feast for them, and the next day the oath is proclaimed. Scholars note that the feast technically should have occurred before the discussion, as is the proper course for the tradition of hospitality. Usually they'd eat, and then they'd have a discussion. Um, That the feast was after the fact likely shows how much of a divide had come between Isaac and his people and Abimelech and his people. Regardless, the next day they make an oath that there would be no hostilities between the two people group. While Abimelech had claimed to send Isaac away in peace, Isaac actually does send them on their way in peace. Whatever divide had occurred is now reconciled, thus continuing the blessing given to Abraham's offspring and how they would bless others. So Isaac is doing the same. The same day that Abimelech and his company leave Isaac, Isaac's servants return to inform him that the well is not dry. Uh, This is a cause of celebration. Indeed, Isaac calls the well well Sheba, which is a reflection of Abraham, who called the name Beersheba, which means oath. As such, Isaac is walking in his father's footsteps. And all along the way, he is receiving the same blessings as Abraham, while also being obedient, just as Abraham was. Alright, so the main point. The main point of these verses are to show the similarities between Isaac and Abraham. Ultimately, God promised to be with Isaac, and throughout the narrative, we are seeing God blessing Isaac despite the struggles he is facing with his neighbors. In the end, Abimelech recognizes the Lord has indeed blessed Isaac, and instead of fighting against that, he actually seeks peace with Isaac instead, who is seemingly a non-confrontational kind of individual, and Isaac then accepts. The scene closes with water being found in the well. At last, Isaac has found a place of peace for himself as God's providence shines down upon him. All right. So we do see a lot of similar themes in this chapter um, with Abraham and Isaac. So you're kind of wondering, you know, what what are we going to talk about (laughs) application-wise? But I have one. Um, In today's text, we see pretty much, again, the rest of the story of Isaac While the events describing Jacob and Esau fall under Isaac's Taladot, the truth is Isaac plays a very insignificant role than either of his sons from here on out. Indeed, unlike Abraham, whose story is full of stories, uh, this here is the most we get concerning Isaac. This, however, does not mean that we do not have some application to learn from Isaac. While it may be true that he follows in his father's footsteps in a bad way, like when he told Abimelech that Rebekah was his sister, he also follows Abraham's footsteps in a good way, in that he remains faithful and obedient to God. Likewise, when we consider Isaac, we see an individual who is actually quite resilient, who has perseverance, despite many things which go against him. Indeed, when we consider Isaac... That is the first aspect we immediately see about him in everything that happened in this chapter. We see his personality that he is a man of peace. He doesn't like the idea of getting into fights unnecessarily. He willingly moves on instead of dealing with the unnecessary confrontation. Instead of fighting against being wronged, he continues onward to the next available area. What could cause him to have such perseverance in this world? When Isaac is run out of town for being too greatly blessed of all things, what could cause him to respond as he does? I suppose the reason for it is because he knew God's will. To attack them would be to go against God's will, which was for their sins to accumulate and be worthy of being driven from the land. That's why Abraham and his sons 
immediate sons, do not inherit the land immediately. It simply wasn't God's will for Isaac to attack the Philistines. So, though Isaac was certainly wronged, he also knew he was blessed and in God's will. God told Isaac that he would be with him, and as such, what does Isaac have to fear from Abimelech? What does Isaac have to fear from farmers of Gerar? Indeed, even if we take it a bit further, what does Isaac have to fear in a seemingly dry land? From the beginning, when the famine occurred, God told Isaac to go to the land God would show him, and Isaac is obedient. Despite the famine, despite the circumstances of trying to find water in the valley of Gerar, does Isaac have any reason to fear? The answer is no. Why? Because God is with him. When it comes to this world and these things which we encounter on a daily basis, it can be easy for us to be overwhelmed. When we consider how there are so many obstacles in our path, when we look up and see so much desert, so many dry lands, it can be easy for us to become frightened. It can be easy for us to not want to take another step even. Because think of all the things that could go wrong if we do take that step. Yet what we learn from Isaac is to persevere in what God has called him to do. If he is obedient, then why again is there any fear for Isaac? If there is perseverance in the Lord, then the fear is gone, not because Isaac is so great, but because our God is so great. Because if God has promised to be with Isaac, then God will be with Isaac. So fast forward to our own time frame. We are like Isaac. We are called to live as sojourners in this land. While it is true that we are United States citizens, and while it is true we live in the U.S., in the end we are also sojourners in this land as we belong to the kingdom of God. Our ultimate allegiance is to him above all else. For this world and all of its nations, while they uh, rage, while they are good, they are ultimately fleeting. Christ, his kingdom, however, these things are forever. So we are wanderers then in this place, and we are called to obedience, called to perseverance in our faithfulness. Even when the world looks bleak, and even if the world around us should, let's say, make laws, which are unfathomably immoral, even if atrocities happen, we are still called to our obedience above all else. The question we want to ask ourselves is this. What will keep us persevering even in the face of evil and seemingly endless chaos? What will keep us persevering even in the face of so much hatred, so much immorality, and so many individual obstacles that we face day to day? Not only do we face obstacles on the outside, with others and with things, but we also face obstacles on the inside, our own failures our own fears, our own inabilities. How can we withstand the current of so much standing against us? The way we do is the same way Isaac did, by holding on to the promises of God. For if we jump ahead from Isaac again, and if we consider Christ, you remember one of the last things he said before he ascended, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ is with us always to the end of the age. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to not leave us forsaken and alone. The world continues to berate us and tell us that we are alone. 
He continues to tell us that we face an uphill struggle against the powers of darkness from within and from without, and that none can overcome. Why not just accept it? How do we respond? How will we respond? We will respond with Christ himself. He will be our rock on which we stand. He will be the one we look to. He will be the one who holds us in our trials and our tribulations. When the world is helter-skelter, and all we see and know is upside down. It will not be because of our own power which sustains us. Indeed, like Isaac, we must rely on him who is greater than we are, and that is God, that is Jesus. He is our foundation when it comes to the world around us. Though the world should throw everything it can at us, and it should try to cast us aside, Christ is with us. So to that end, who cares if the world does cast us aside? If we are driven to the desert places, if we have Christ, then we have nothing to fear and we have everything. Fear can be a great motivator, true. But for those who are in Christ, there is no longer fear but love. Our God is so much greater than our circumstances. He can hold us up and keep us through the storm. Our perseverance will not come by our own hands. None of us are strong enough on our own. We are limited. We are finite. And we have so many weaknesses which overtake us. No, we are not strong enough people to persevere. But thanks be to God for our Savior Jesus Christ, who is strong enough to carry each and every one of us. By His Spirit within us, we are able to persevere. And it is only because He gives us His Spirit that we are able to do so. This is even what was promised to us before the crucifixion. Consider what we read from John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, uh, and will be in you. John fourteen, fifteen through 17 This same Spirit who is in us is the very same Spirit by whom we are to walk. In order for us to keep the commandments of Christ, to walk in the footsteps of Christ, it is necessary that we should have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, urging us further into the glory of God. This great helper in our times of need, this great one who is in us, connecting us to our Savior Jesus Christ and his Father in heaven. Our perseverance, then, will not be on our own might alone. Instead, we have one far stronger and far more able to keep us than we are able to keep ourselves. We should praise God for this, for it is by Him and through Him we are able to keep taking each step in the wilderness places, and it is by Him we continue to have our hope for the future. So it is, even if this should be in Even if we should be in a wilderness today, you or I or all of us, and even if you should feel alone and out of place, and even if the sin in your heart is great, know that there is a Savior who will bless you with water, who is with you, and who can take away even the greatest measures of guilt from sin. For this is the truth of Christ, and as such, we can continue on in the faith knowing this to be the case. As we continue forward then, remain faithful in what God has requested of you. To remain obedient to the commandments of Jesus. To keep pressing onward. You are not alone on your journey. And though the journey is certainly long, the truth is we are blessed with the knowledge and the power of our God and Father in heaven. Therefore, know the blessings of God Most High. And cling to our Savior, 
the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, and know his Spirit is within each of us. How great is our God! How great is his faithfulness! Though we should stumble, he has promised to be with us. Though the darkness should come, he has promised to lead us into the light. He is above all. He is wonderful, and he has blessed us already beyond measure through Jesus, his Son. What more can we ask? What fear can keep us from him? Let him cast our fears to the wind, and let us enjoy our God in his rich mercy and blessings, trusting in his perseverance now and forever. So I think it's pretty clear to see how the gospel relates, I think, to today's scripture references and as we consider Isaac and what we can learn from his life. But as I mentioned last week, with how much is going on in our world, it's necessary to always be reminded of the truth of the gospel. Um, And in regards to human origins, how all humans are created in the image of God and as such have dignity and worth and sanctity to life. Um, The fact that we are all, all humanity is created in the image of God means, again, if it is human, it already has it implanted on them. Um, and so that's the real question in regards to a lot of what we're seeing in today's society, is things that I know a lot of you have been discussing amongst yourselves or debating people online <laughs> or debating friends or family. I know that the arguments are there. I know that you're having them. This is where our foundation is for these arguments. This is where we go back to every time is in the image of God. Humanity is created in the image of God. Um, Now, the problem, of course, is the fall, which is what we see in regards to, let's say, Abimelech and the fact that he is so willing to push aside uh, instead of embracing blessings of God, you know, he just sends it away. And it's very interesting in that regards. Um, However, the fall happens to all of us. That's why death happens. When sin comes into our lives, we continue to grab onto it instead of pushing it away. We're very much like our ancestors. We're very much like Adam and Eve. Once sin happens, we we seem to want to just bask in it. It reminds me of, um, has anyone ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Been a while. There's a moment in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian is walking towards in the right direction, away from the city of destruction, and he falls into the slough of despond. And it's this nasty bog. And he can't get out on his own because the burden of sin is so great on his back. And he starts to sink, sink, sink. Um, And that's how sin is. The guilt of it is so great. And the slough of despond is a very big bog. It's very disgusting and gets everywhere. Um... Now, the question is, you know, how do we re- get, find redemption? How do we get out of this slough of despond? How do, is it that we are able to get out? And how is it that this sin is able to come off of our backs? How is it possible for there to be reconciliation with God? How is it possible for us to be able to live again? How is it possible for us to give everything to Christ? Well, it requires Christ. <laughs> It requires a savior, it requires a lord, it requires someone to come in, into the bog, and lift us out. It requires a cross where the guilt of sin can just be taken off of our backs. That's why I love Pilgrim's Progress, such a good book. And redemption comes through Jesus, so it comes by God's hand. We notice it's something so interesting with Abimelech. 
It's because he notices the blessings of God on Isaac that he comes to realization there should be peace. What does that say about us when we live in the world and people see us being blessed and they see God moving in our lives? Maybe, maybe that would be the response of the world a little bit more if, they, if we proclaimed it a little bit louder how God blesses us. Not in an egotistical kind of a way. God bless me today. How great am I? Not like that. Um, more of like a very Isaac-y. He doesn't really boast in anything. He always recognizes that it's God's blessing on him. But still, we see even redemption in this story when it comes to that reconciliation between men, between peoples. Reconciliation becomes, happens because of God himself when we recognize his blessings and we recognize how good he is and we recognize that he exists and we recognize that he is even for people. So it's necessary for us to remember the redemption of Christ. It's necessary for us to remember to see it. And finally, it also leads us to glory, this redemption, because through obedience and faithfulness, and as we continue to give our lives to Christ, he's leading us somewhere. It's not a matter of just simply, okay, you're saved, that's it. It's a matter of being turned towards something which is spectacular. A blessing far beyond that which we had ever thought possible. Eternal life and being able to see our God face to face with no shadow, no veil. And that's where Christ leads us. To glory. Unending glory. I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes it. Um, In the Chronicles of Narnia. Last book, great, great series if you've ever read them. The last thing that happens is that in the end everyone dies, <laughs> which is really depressing in a way, except that they all get to heaven. And when they're in heaven, um, they begin to run, and they keep running, and they run faster and faster and faster, and they don't stop, they don't lose their breath, just, they can just enjoy the fact of running. And they climb mountains and they go to all these places and they just keep on going. It's further up and further in. Learn more about God. You keep going. And guess what? Do you know what C.S. Lewis describes it? He describes it as never ending further up and further in into the wonderful mercies and love of God. All of it. And it's a beautiful image to me. And that's where we're heading. And so we praise God. We praise God for Isaac for this individual who follows God's will and who reminds us to follow God's will. But we thank also the fact that through Isaac, thousands of years later, Christ comes and he redeems us. The story is a very beautiful story. It's heartbreaking at times, being pushed out and having to keep on digging those wells. There's always water, no matter how long you have to dig. It's awesome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you so much for reminding us through these stories that perseverance is something that you've called us to. But also, like Isaac, we're not called to be perseverant with our own strength alone. For every time Isaac dug a well, there was water. And every time he made a step, you were with him. And so, Lord, as we continue to persevere in our own lives, we remember the fact that your Son, Jesus Christ, promised the same thing to us, to always be with us. And, Lord, as we take our steps, 
And as we dig our wells and as we search for water, Lord, you've promised that you will be with us and that you will provide it. And so, Lord, even if we should dig for a long time, and even if we should feel in a valley of, of desert area for a long time, like Isis, let, let, let us persevere and give us strength to keep moving forward. For your Son is with us always. Let us never forget. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let us rise. If you